This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the East Coast Offense Podcast. This is Chris Liss, your host. This podcast is sponsored by FanDuel. There is a special offer for new FanDuel users Get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with a $10 deposit on FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW. Not only will you have the free subscription, but you'll have that $10 available to play with on FanDuel. It's more than $40 in value for just $10. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW. The East Coast Offense Podcast. This is Chris Liss. As usual, I am joined by Yahoo Sports, Dalton Del Don. And uh, what's going on, man? How you doing? Doing pretty well, as I said already to you on the XM show this morning. Uh, the Warriors clinched home court advantage throughout the playoffs last night, becoming the first team ever to win 65 games three straight seasons. I actually have them. at uh, I bet on them before the season. They're over under 66.5, so I need them to go 2-1 and one, the final three games, in which they're going to obviously be resting some players. But I'm just hoping that with Durant's likely return Saturday, they want to get him reacclimated. So... Hoping they give him some run, but so I still have some some incentive to watch. But a pretty sick three uh, year stretch here. They're 13 and 0 since uh, Clay Thompson signed a, a fan's toaster. Uh, I don't know if you know about this, but it's pretty bizarre. And that's obviously all without Durant, including wins in San Antonio against Houston twice. So uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty well on that front. Also, also I won my my own uh, NCAA bracket as well as RotoWires, which has quite a few people in it. And I hadn't watched 10 minutes of college basketball all season. So uh, it just shows if you pick the right ultimate winner, which I did, obviously, UNC. That was fun to watch, even though it was a super ugly game. I don't know if you if you caught any of that. Did you watch any of that, that game? Shit. No, hell no. It, it was it was terrible. Just It was awful product and awful refing and just a bunch of misses from the free throw line and the three-point line. But anyway, you gave me a hard time for saying that this is a sad state of affairs, that this is where I, I gauge my, my lot in life, if, if things like that. And I countered with you to you that um, actually the highlight of my week was uh, taking my daughter, Chloe, who just turned four, to the dentist for the first time. And no mom, just me. And uh, she sat in my lap and then even laid down on me and got, got her teeth cleaned and, and was actually uh, really good about it. And I was really surprised. And it was a nice father-daughter bonding moment. And, and yeah, that, that was actually the true highlight of my week. Yeah, I know, I know you really like the way that came out on the XM show, apparently. So now you're trying to repeat it here to virtue signal to the other people who listen. Let me tell you something. The people who listen to this podcast are depraved. They don't like that story. They don't like you anymore. Now you're just some well, douchebag trying to, trying to seem like a nice guy and a good dad. 
Well, I got there's got uh, got to be like a you know good cop bad cop, and obviously you're the uh, the uh, the other one. So I wanted to actually. What are you talking about, dude? I'm one of the, I'm one of the nicest people around. Oh yeah, I'm sure that's that's the general consensus for sure. Absolutely. Tell, couple things is what I wanted to get at. First, tell your your dentist story real quick. I found that actually interesting. Well, so many dentist experiences, but out here in Portugal. I know. Tell the tell the one you just yeah. recently had, and then I'm gonna follow so up. So I I like bit into this like piece of chicken, and there's a bone in it, and it really hurt my tooth. And I, I thought I might have cracked a molar or something. And so I made a dentist appointment and I had him check it out. And he like poked around and he said, I don't think it's a crack. It could be in there, but let me take an x-ray. X-rays that he says is negative. He's not sure what it is. Go out to the receptionist. And I'm like, all right, well, how much do I owe for that? And she said, well, what did he do? I said, he just examined me, took an x-ray. She said, nothing. And, you know, in the U.S., that costs, what, 500 bucks for that, that, little, around there. that little experience, right? And it's just like, yeah, probably, probably around 500. Episodes. I don't want to go into like a 30 minute rant right now because a, I've just done so many on the XM show and on Twitter and whatever, but it, it, you really, when you go away, when you get out, you just see what a jungle out there it is in the U S and, and how they're just stealing from you. Like it's, it's not like that everywhere. It may be like that in other ways. I mean, there's some places obviously where it's literally a jungle and you have to like fight and it's dangerous and there's other, but in the U S you don't have to fight with your fists anymore. You know, it's a civilization, so to speak. But it's a jungle in terms of like, you have to fight for every nickel. Like they, the, everything is set up instead of you know sticks and stones. It's policies and fine print and monopolies and collusive pricing and really just a, a breath of fresh air to be here. And I think we're actually going to re up um, next September for another year. Yeah, that is a cool story, and I would have been shocked if the the person would have told me that at the front desk, especially with the X-ray. And that, yeah, I was going to ask, is that? I mean, are you, you're there for good at this point? I'm, I'm not seriously, for good, though, but really I think are. it looks like we're going to be here another year. We're trying to negotiate with our current uh, landlord. We're going to get a new place, but this place is just so chill right now. Actually, I'm sitting on the roof deck overlooking Lisbon, overlooking the river and the bridge. It's like probably 68 degrees out. It's a large deck with sofas and tree, you know, these like large planters with trees growing out of them. I'm just chilling on like a city roof deck. You know, everything's cheaper here. Everything's nice. Like they, there, there are issues. Don't get me wrong. But when you've been in Europe for a while, you start to realize like, you know, they spend on public goods. Like in, in Berlin, there were amazing parks and bike paths and every, they, they spend on things for the common good, which in the U.S. is just they're, they're pulling away from the common good to more and more privatized wealth. Here, there's like a combination. There's businesses. There's restaurants. There aren't most people are kind of poor here, actually, to be honest. But there's there's certainly like people doing well, and some restaurants are packed and entrepreneurs. But it's not as creative as the U.S. It's not as dynamic as the U.S. But like, they're not stealing from you at every turn. I mean, it's just an amazing feeling not to have basically every corporation from your cable company and Direct TV and everything charging so much money for everything. It's just not like that here. Yeah, no, it sounds nice. What are your thoughts on uh, Tony Romo, both on just uh, you know his decision professionally and then the reaction? I'm more, more curious about the latter part. Well, I mean, it's just so funny when he ceded the – he didn't cede the starting job to Dak. That was a done deal. Everyone – it was obvious in like week 10 or whenever when Dak was playing at a Pro Bowl level that Romo wasn't getting the job back. And then he had that like teary press conference and we said, oh, what a class act, what a class act. And you're like – Dude, it's fucking obvious. Like, he's not an idiot. He's not going to, like, commit career and reputational suicide by acting like it's his job and acting like an entitled dick. Of course he's giving up the job. That's not even, it's just, it's a no-brainer to just be like, yeah, it's his job. I mean, anybody with half a brain would have done exactly what Romo did. And everyone was acting like he did the classiest thing ever. 
And now it's even more funny because he doesn't want to play anymore, right? It's like he was so done, and it was so obviously Dak's job. The proof, he's, he's not even playing where he could probably start for a team right now. Well, there are two obvious alternatives. I mean, the Texans and Broncos have a, a, an opening, especially the Texans, and you and wouldn't team, even have to obviously go far. And they have strong defenses. Right. I mean, it's, it's like – and good re- each have good receivers. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's like – it's crazy. Yeah, Will Fuller in year two, DeAndre Hopkins. Fedorowicz made some strides. I mean, it, this could be like a really good setup for him in Houston. And same thing in Denver. Same thing. And, yeah, it, it's just so funny. And people just love that. Oh, what a class act. What a class act. It's like, shut the fuck up, man. Who cares? First of all, everybody's saying the same thing. Secondly, I'm not saying Rome was not a good guy. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I don't know the guy, but it, it just is what it is. He's just retired. It's not like a big thing. It's not a big it's it's not an occasion for all of you in unison to chime in on what a class act he is. He just retired. You know, he was a good quarterback. He retired. That's it. It did come a little surprising to me. You I know you're a Giants guy. Were you a were you a Bill Sims as an announcer fan? Come on. I, I'm a Don Mattingly. He was like my second favorite athlete of all time. And he's You're a not a fan of his managerial No, no. and just because I like the Giants and I rooted for Phil Simms with every fiber of my being in the 1980s, that doesn't mean I'm tolerating intolerable commentary that's totally stupid. No, of course not. <laughs> all right, all right. So you're done, you're done with the Romo subject and moving on? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. what is there to say? I mean, who gives a shit? You know? Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, Will, what is just interesting to me that everyone brought up, you know, the botch snap and, the, and he, had like, he had the most comeback wins in the fourth quarter over the last 10 years or whatever. So uh, there's different ways to look at it as YPA. I always thought he was underrated, and then he became so underrated, he was overrated. So I don't know. He was a very interesting player that obviously didn't start his career until later and obviously wasn't a good, huge prospect or anything. Um, I don't know. I always liked the guy and, and whatever. I, mean, I hope. Was, you know, if Patrick Creighton doesn't drop that slant against the Giants, yeah. maybe they win the Super Bowl that year, right? I mean, right. they had a great team, and they probably win that game against the Giants. The Giants ended up winning the Super Bowl. I'm very glad that Creighton did drop that pass, but, you know, it would have been a, a, a tough game in Green Bay. Actually, I think they would have hosted Green Bay, that Favre team that the Giants beat in sub-zero temperatures, and right. then the undefeated pass, but the, the, the Cowboys were one of the best teams in the league that year. They were 13-3. and three. But, you know, I mean, the whole thing about assessing someone's career and being like, oh, should he be in the Hall of Fame, or how great was he? Like, it just is what it is, right? Like, he had the career he had. It's really impossible to say. You know, like how much, especially in the NFL, like baseball is at least like you can look at the numbers and park adjust them and era adjust them and get some idea. But football, it's like there's so many ifs and contingencies and it's just it is what it is, you know, and he had a good career and it's over. Just stop with the class act nonsense. He just he's just some guy who retired. I hear you. Actually, I think you're more of a Hall of Fame guy that or a historian than I am for sure. But um, yeah, I understand. I just, you know, that obviously dominated the 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 news this past week. I was just curious your opinion. I thought I could get you a little fired up on the on the subject. But um, you see, our guy Puig went deep, tw- two two run homers, I believe it was already yep. today. It was nice. Um, fortunately, I was a year too early. Uh, I only have him in like two leagues this year, and I think I let him. You get him in the friends and family league. Yep. Which, yeah. Yeah. It was so stupid. I took like Hunter Pence. Like, what a scrub, Hunter Pence. I mean, what a joke. I, I don't know. I, I think I, I was like thinking, oh, we might come back to me. But I was a coward. The good thing, though, is one of the leagues in which I have him is the NFBC main event. Oh, I like good. to check the standings early if I'm doing well in a league. I'm 17th overall. Oh, I slipped to 18th. 18th overall in the main event as we speak right now uh, on April, what is it, 6th. So it's, it bodes well for me. If you're going to have him in any league, that would be the one. Yeah, that's the most important one. And... uh 
It's we have him in league. Of, we have him in league of leagues too. Okay. And he walked today too. And okay. he walked. Then I have so, him in three three leagues if we count yeah. league of leagues. So yeah. yes, I'm happy about Not it. Not bad. Not bad. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up, and then um, then you can start BSing on whatever you want. Is uh, have you seen the fact that the uh, velocity is up throughout the league, and the reason why? They've universally switched to something called StatCast, which is providing cool things like how how far the outfielder ran to get a ball, um, you know, the the likely the probability of a the average outfielder catching it, the um, exit velocity off the bat. But um, one thing, little quirk that most people didn't quite realize unless you're really inside the game, is that they measure uh, a pitcher's ball basically directly coming out of their hand, whereas PitchFX, the system that they previously used for years and years measured it about like halfway to the plate. So basically all, throughout the, the league, every pitcher is throwing about a mile per hour more. So you got to take everything, uh, you know, differently. You got to, you got to understand that that's the case. And if your pitcher is say down a mile and a half right now, normally you would be like, Oh, whatever, that's not a big deal. But really in reality, that's like two and a half to three miles down miles per hour down. And maybe that is something to worry about even in, if it's just one start, like Sam Dyson was down on his first outing and everyone kind of just wrote it off. But then, boy, he's been annihilated for back-to-back outings now. And he's he's given up eight earned runs in one inning. I, I hope you don't have him on any of your teams. But anyway, I, do I thought that's something. Good. I do not. I do you? I do not either. Good. No. So how um, enjoyable is that? Like, I've got yeah. eight leagues. <laughs> the fact that somebody who's on a team in every one of those leagues gets annihilated for eight runs in one inning is just it brings me so much happiness because it's helping me. It's just helping me everywhere. And the same thing goes in reverse, right? Like if there's some guy who's got like five home runs and is crushing it out of nowhere and I have him in no leagues, that means there's somebody in every one of my leagues getting over on me because of that. So, you know, I, it's one, you know, it's one thing you only have the guys you have and you root for them and you hope they don't do badly, but a hidden source of joy in fantasy baseball is that Schadenfreude, like that rooting for other people to have disastrous outcomes. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the thing with a with a reliever like that too, that's different than say a starter, is that that might be twofold bad. It might result in him losing his job. So like that's like extra bad when you have a reliever do that on your own team. But um, then but, then but, again, that could benefit someone else in in your in your leagues, whomever gets you know has Matt Bush, or you know. So I, I have Jeremy we, Jeffers in the Jeremy Jeffers. Yeah, he's the other guy. Yeah, I, I mean, I, people are saying it's Bush, but like to me, it's it's usually the veteran who's done it before. The guy who's done it before. Yeah, they, I just yeah. managers love that. And it actually makes sense. I mean, you want your better pitcher to be eighth, seventh inning available as the situation calls for it. Yep. And secondly, uh, you don't want that dude to have to get paid in arbitration. But uh, but I did hear that uh, Matt Bush uh, has killer stuff. Yeah, uh, yeah. He um he uh, I, anyway. Uh, that's actually the, the exact thing going on in the Phillies um, uh, with Hector Norris. I mean, right. you know, why, why, I mean, they have same thing. Ben was yeah, the you know, Ben was the Jeffress over there. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah, sure Jammer was still. Yeah, me too, uh, including labor. So has anything, any of your views changed so far over the first five days? It's, it's very boring to just continuously say, like, small sample. I mean, that's basically what I keep saying. I mean, it, it's really tough to talk about baseball this time of year, frankly. I love it. I have such confirmation bias. Like, if one of my guys does well, I'm like, I told you, man. I told you that dude would be awesome. I knew Puig was going to bust out. And then um, if my if somebody actually even more so like I didn't like Kenta Maeda he was getting pushed up so much in these drafts and if you looked at Maeda who I drafted in friends and family last year he was good for like a month he was like amazing he was untouchable mm-hmm. but then the rest of the year the ERA had to be about four or maybe a little higher because it was like three forty at the end of the year 
And so I, I didn't, I wasn't in on him, and he kept getting pushed up, like, in the NFBC. Like, he was going, like, the seventh, eighth round by the time, you know, that draft came, you know, a week and a half ago. And it just seemed crazy to me to push him up into that tier. So now that he gave up three runs to the Padres and didn't look good, I'm like, I told you. I told you Maeda wasn't in. You know, it's just one start. I mean, the guy could win the Cy Young still. You know, but yeah, like, it's, very, I, it's very difficult not to have that, those feelings but, for sure. But you see a guy have a bad outing, and you're like, yeah, that's what I thought. I knew it. It's just confirmation bias. You know, you have some belief, and it just confirms it completely. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, there's small sample stuff. I think Jason Hayward's hitting a little bit to start the year. I like that. CeCe Sabathia, he's up like three miles per hour. I know that the gun is helping him for a third of that. No, but, but three, three is a significant. But, I mean, three, that's still. And, I, you know, it's funny because in the main event, it was either him or Ricky Nolasco with two starts. I drafted Chris Tillman, and then I found out Tillman was out for a whole month, so I needed a starter. And I didn't want to use CC at Baltimore, so I picked up Nolasco. He didn't have a great outing, and he's got a second one. He's had an easier schedule. And, uh, man, now that I'm seeing those velocity readings, I wish I picked up CC. I mean, you know, he hasn't been good for a while, but if you give him two and a half miles per hour, whatever it is, back, you know, maybe he, he does figure it out. And, he, you know, he stopped boozing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he lost some weight, so, you know, maybe he's uh, getting his act together. Yeah, maybe. He wasn't terrible last year, was he? I thought he bounced back a little bit. Yeah, and he was especially good down the stretch, um, but he wasn't great, you know? So it was sort of like, well, is this just sort of a good, bad, dead cat bounce type thing, or is this, is he ever going to get it back? And you know, his velocity just wasn't, he was like 88 last year at this time, and now it's 91. And it's just a, it's a whole different world. So I don't know how guys get velocity back. It usually was that, Pitchers come up, their max velocity is when they're 21, and then they end up with a Tommy John, and then at 23, it's like almost what it was. And then as they get to be 25, they lose a mile per hour, and then, you know, as they're 30, they lose another mile per hour. You know, like Verlander, he was throwing 99 five, six years ago, and you just go down, uh, and then you pitch differently. But some of these guys, like Verlander looks like he's up a little. Maybe it's just the stat cast thing. CeCe's up. Felix Hernandez is back up a couple miles per hour. Maybe half of that is the stat cast thing. My so, guy Bumgarner was way up. Bumgarner was up, right? So, I mean, Melanson was up. So, you know, I, it, it's weird that some of these guys in their 30s are ga- seemingly gaining velocity. But, you know, velocity is such a huge component of your skill set. And what you can do at 92, 93 versus what you can do at 89, 90 is totally different. You know, if you have this, and, and, this, and you, when you get older, you get smarter. You know how to locate better. You know how to set up hitters better. And then if you get the stuff back, look out. Yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if this velocity in context, how much this, it is just uh, the stat cast stuff right now. But um, again, if you're three miles per hour, that, that is, that is significant regardless. And um, Melanson, I should note, was in the same radar gun as, as Bumgarner, obviously in, right. in Arizona. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see what Harvey looks like because his velocity has been down all, all spring, and he was a guy that obviously relied on just raw stuff as he was a quote-unquote pitcher. So he starts uh, tonight. He'll definitely have already been finished by the time this podcast is posted. So very curious to see how he does. Don't have any shares. Hope he gets destroyed. <laughs> uh, I, I have. I do actually have him in the friends and family, I believe. Right. Do you well, do you already remember every single like like which players are on which teams or do you like prioritize like it's gonna take me a couple weeks to to remember exactly where my shares are. I was right on this one. Yes, I do have them in friends and family. Yeah, I, I have sort of a vague idea of who I have where, but I have to double check. I've got two beat Chrysalis leagues. It's the exact same format, so like I get confused and I have overlap on those teams, so I get confused. Like I think I have Chris Davis in one of the two, but not the other. Like right. it's you know I you know so I I have I have a lot of overlap, a lot of guys in common. It's so bizarre, but the guy I have the most shares in is Cesar Hernandez. The only reason I have him 
is because I'm in the staff keeper league. And uh, Schuler had picked up a bunch of guys like Jarrell Cotton and Jim Johnson and Cesar Hernandez, like good pickups at the end of last year for cheap, you know, with an eye toward this year. So when I was doing our keeper list, like in early March, I was I was researching those guys and I came across Hernandez and was like, oh, he had a 370 on base percentage. He's only a buck. Yeah, we'll keep him. And so like he was just on my radar and he wasn't really on most people's radars because he's just some dude on the Phillies with like, you know, doesn't have power. He got caught ceiling 13 times last year. So I just kept drafting him. He was always there in like the 20th round. So I have him in like six leagues. Yeah, that happened to me with Ryan Schimpf this year. Um, he uh, is a guy that I just happened to have at the end of last year, and I kind of paid attention to him, and he quietly just destroyed righties, and no one cared about a guy who was a non-prospect, non-top prospect who came up and did his damage the final six weeks of the year on the Padres, you know? So, and he, so he was basically free in most drafts, and he had a homer off Kershaw the first game, and typically he doesn't hit lefties, but... He's a guy that I own probably the, the greatest amount, and it's because of a similar situation as yours. It's just so random, right? If one of those dudes has a massive year, if Hernandez steals like 35 bags or Shim hits 35 home runs, it's like you win just because you just happen to notice something that, that most people didn't. And that's why it's almost like a cascade effect of having a good year in fantasy baseball versus having a bad one because if you're, if you're having bad teams, you just give up the final two months. I mean, maybe you set your lineup or whatever, but you're not like searching the waiver wire or paying attention to the box scores. So that, you know what I mean? So it's almost, it, it's doubly helpful to be successful because it'll help you next year as well when you are actually paying attention to the final couple months of the year. Yeah. I mean, DFS, you know, I can't play it out here sure. and I actually miss sure. baseball DFS because I really, I just feel really tapped into the pulse. Like I feel like knock on wood, I'm going to have a good year this year. Like a couple of my teams are off to good starts, a couple aren't, but I just feel like I like my picks. Like, I like the way things set up. Like, I, I feel just good about everything this year. And, uh, and I want to play DFS because of it. I feel like I have a good read on things. And DFS, though, really helps with the season long. My best year ever is 2015. I was writing this blog. I was, like, right. paying 1000 bucks, and I kept, like, tracking my bankroll and writing about it and playing tons of lineups. It was, you know, it really – I was just so dialed into like, who was moving up in the lineup and who had a three-game hot streak and – just so much shit. I was so aware of everything, and that helps. And, and usually, you know, when you're in eight leagues or nine or whatever I'm in, like, I'll be paying attention to at least two or three. Like, there's no way, knock on wood again, that I have such a shitty year that I am not contending somewhere, right? So I'm usually not going to be totally checked out. If you have, like, two or three leagues, it can yeah. easily happen. But it, with, like, eight or nine leagues, like, you're never going to be totally checked out. No, great point about DFS, because um, even if you also say you are in only two or three leagues and you are done for in all of them, that's a way you can stay, you know, that'll get your juices flowing in, in some competition to play DFS. And even if not, it'll let you make you pay attention to players even not on your own team. You know, you got to be you got to be very aware of the entire player pool to be successful there. So that that is a good point. If you play DFS, it'll keep you sharp entering the next year. Yeah. The one thing I don't like about DFS is I hate the whole drama of like, oh, I want to get this guy, but I have him in five leagues and season long. So uh -oh. I'm just being biased. So. But I don't want to go against my own pitcher in season long because that's just not enjoyable at all. You don't want your guy to get shelled. You're not going to stack against him. So you get in that whole conflict. I, I don't like. I'm not the type of dude who wants like interests for and against everybody. Like I was mocking Jeff because he has 18 leagues today on the radio. It's like 18 leagues. He's like, oh yeah, I have a share of him. I'm like, yeah, but you saying you have a share of somebody is meaningless. You have 18 leagues. He actually told me there's like a number of guys he doesn't have any of, which is kind of crazy. Like how much does he not like those players? He's in yeah. 18 leagues. Even eight or nine, what I have is, is excessive. But, like, it's, it's just, like, I want to have very clear investments in, in particular players. One thing that I did that 
kind of annoyed with myself is, you know, you know I have that Kluber-Darvish bet? Yep. And I don't have Darvish in any league except in my home league, my last draft. There's no whip in that league. And I was picking at the at – the, I picked first. I got Trout. And at the turn, Kluber and Verlander were available, and I have both those guys ahead of Darvish on my list. But I was like, yeah, but there's no whip. And Kluber and, and Verlander crushed Darvish and whip. So I was like, you take away that, and it's got to be closer, right, if, if it's a category where he's worse than them in. Yeah, and I understand what you're saying, the conflict of, of interest. And I'm totally with you that, I, um, that I, uh, I'm not in 18 leagues, but uh, I, I typically don't – I mean, I, I do like to stack up. I mean, Justin Turner jumped out on my rankings compared to the rest of the industry, so I just – I was fine with just having him in, in most of the majority of my leagues. One other thing I'd say about your home team league, which I – if I remember correctly, because I did uh, skim your uh, column, did you end up with Rich Hill? I did. I have Rich Hill in a few places. His best categories win. Yeah, I know. Um, but I he's also a fly just, ball strikeout pitcher. I mean, it's just, yeah. I just laughed at that when you but said he's that. Good, but he's good at everything else. It's, for him, it's just durability, right? Like he was like it was like the eighth, ninth round or something like that. So I was like, sure, but I mean, sure, but I mean, he's worth more. Right, you're right. He, he is definitely. It definitely hurts. And like I had the first pick, and I didn't take Kershaw because WHIP is his best category. Yeah, of course, it's all about context. Uh, you've been even though you've been talking about Kershaw as the number one overall pick, as has myself all all off season. It totally makes sense to take Trout over him in that context. Same, you know, same with leagues that use on base percentage instead of batting average, or points leagues that totally devalue stolen bases. Uh, of course, that makes all the difference. Yeah. Did you just see that our, our guy Puig just stole a base? Yeah, I, actually, I did. Um, uh, thank you for <laughs> notifying me. But that's funny with the people that will, will, will listen to this edited. Uh, I was the one that told you that. But yeah, our guy's going nuts today. Yeah, that's you really want credit for that. It's funny how desperate you are for just the slightest bit of credit. <laughs> oh man. All right, Liz, what else? You got any more of the baseball talk or you want to talk politics? What, I mean, what, what's, what's going on? Yeah, I actually had a couple of notes cause I was just so uh, out of it the last couple of times. Um, so I was gonna say, I like my teams. The, the one guy that I have everywhere that I am a little bit nervous about is Byron Buxton. Who's been striking out a lot. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just, it's the one area. Like I like my teams, but it's like, he's not like the, it's not like Puig who I took in the four or five turn in the main event last year. This is a guy that I took in, you know, the 12th round in these leagues, and I didn't actually get him in the main event, but obviously him breaking out would be a huge, huge lift to my portfolio. Um, another guy I've got a couple of shares of is Jason Hayward. He's changed his swing. I think he was two for four today. Um, I am sort of anxious to see him do well. Not like he's less important. He was cheaper, but I do, I do think he could have a, a good year. I only have one share, I think, of Dylan Bundy, even though I was, like, big on him this preseason. I didn't pull the trigger enough, but I think that's a, a real breakout guy. And then the other really big key who I did invest uh, high picks on is Strasburg. You know, he had an outing that didn't strike out a whole lot of guys, and it was fine. He got the win. But I just need him to, you know, just do his thing. You know, basically pitch 175, 180 innings, strike out 220 guys, uh, you know, win 14 games, and, and have his normal 330 and 110 ERA and whip. And, you know, there's obviously upside for more, but I just need him to do that. But Strasburg is a huge key to my squads. Sure, I'll comment on these, comment on these guys uh, pretty quickly. Uh, Buxton opened the year batting third, which was so so encouraging, and his defense is so good. Hopefully, he has a, a long leash. But yeah, six strikeouts and ten at bats um, in, entering today. That that's not very uh, encouraging to say the least. He's, his OPS right now is two oh five, so he's up to seven strikeouts in in fourteen at bats. That's that could be a problem. But obviously, it's uh, he's he's still young, and he had a pretty good second half last year. Hayward had a terrible spring, by the way, trying to retool that that swing. So um, we'll see. It's so interesting to just to point out how early in the year exactly it is. 
Uh, he entered the day with a 500 OPS. You said he had a couple hits. It's up to 718. So 718. Two point, going two for four raises OPS 218 points. So it's just it's just funny to comment on players at this stage of the year. But Dylan Bundy looked great. The key there was zero walks. The control has always been the issue for him, not the stuff. I mean, high pedigree. Um, you have to be really encouraged there against a tough Toronto offense. He should be owned in every single fantasy league just because of the upside there. And lastly, Strasburg, my guy as well. I, I have him in, in too many places as usual. And uh, yeah, just the three strikeouts, but zero walks, a ton of ground balls, pitched exclusively out of the stretch. I was very curious about that, so I watched that game, and he was still reaching 97 miles per hour. So um, even though a couple balls went to the fence, including a great catch by Bryce Harper, ultimately you got to be pretty happy with that. Who knows if that'll keep him healthy? That's That was the main goal. Um, I think you, you brought this up on the show as well as tipping pitches. If you can correct that, then then yeah, that would be huge. And you know me, I, I absolutely love Strasburg. Yeah, okay, so two other just political things. Um, you know, there's a lot of fake news out there, and a lot of it's coming from, unfortunately, the mainstream media. A lot of it's coming from trolls and weird sites that people should not be paying attention to. But there's just a lot of bad commentary and, and sort of, bad faith commentary where people aren't even really looking into stuff. I'm going to recommend two good sources that people should check out. The Intercept, which is Glenn Greenwald's outlet. They published a terrible article today, but I'll, I'll let that one slide. They're very reliable, very good and informed. And another art, another uh, blog that I read all the time that I just think is, is just so on point is Naked Capitalism. I would highly recommend that. It's just very informative. Talks about a lot of the issues that in a way that's just not the bullshit that is out there. So I would recommend those two sources. And then finally, uh, I read this quote. It was just on, on Twitter uh, by Nassim Tlaib, and he just was talking about how, as a researcher, he's more about policy, not people. And I just started thinking about that a little bit more, and it, and it really is that, right? Like, just don't be an idiot. Don't be pro-Trump. Don't be anti-Trump. Don't be pro-Obama. Just be about the issues. Be about the policies, right? So if Trump's doing something stupid, like, you, it doesn't matter if you voted for him. Like, you should... You should not be for that. Uh, ironically, I want to say they're not celebrities. They're politicians, but Trump is a celebrity, literally. But they're not celebrities. You know, they, they need to be graded on what they do. Who cares? You're not, it's not your team that you root for, like a football team. And it's like, you know, Obama actually was a huge celebrity himself. He's a celebrity, you know, and people like him because they, 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 they judge him by, like, how classy he is and how his family's classy and how he, so he's eloquent and he's smart and biracial, multicultural. He's like everything that symbolizes what a lot of people like. A lot of people don't like that either, but a lot of people like it. But all that's just unimportant. Like that's just the veneer. That's just the celebrity of it, right? The, the, the important thing is what did he actually do? That, that's way more important than the symbol. And what he did was he bailed out banks and people lost their homes. You know, he expanded drone assassination that the Bush administration started to seven countries. We're not even at war with those countries. He was having people assassinated and a lot of innocent people getting caught in the crossfire and being killed accidentally. You know, they destroyed Libya. Hillary Clinton uh, pushed for that and her people and Obama went along with it. He was president. They destroyed it, ruined the country, caused so much damage and suffering, and now it's probably a terrorist haven. Democratic Party, how's it doing after he left? You know, I mean, it's, it's totally decimated. They own nothing. They don't, they don't have the House. They don't have the Senate. Uh, they don't have the presidency. They're getting decimated across state houses. Now they're uh, ending the filibuster and putting that total scumbag Gorsuch in the Supreme Court. So in terms of, like, preserving the party or I ensuring long-term policy goals, he was a disaster. And who did he appoint as a successor and make secretary of state and put that on a resume? A terrible candidate who lost to Donald Trump. So, you know, I, I just think, like, 
you may like Obama personally, you may like his personality, but he's not a celebrity, or he is now, but that's not how he's supposed to be judged. Don't judge him as you judge your favorite celebrity. Judge his performance. No, and this is coming from someone who, who liked Obama. Right? I donated to him. I volunteered for him. You know, like I, I thought, I thought he was the real deal. I really did. And maybe at one point he was. You know, but whatever happened to him, or whoever, you know, got in his head, or more experienced people who steered him in a certain direction, whatever. I don't know what the explanation is, but it, it's policy, not people. Like, don't. No, think, I, I, you know, that's all it's really about. Like, don't get it. To, it's not the. You know, you root for the Warriors, right? You root for the Warriors whether the Warriors are the best team or they're an average team. That's just your team, right? You, you may judge them and say they suck or they're great, but you're just going to root for them because they're your team. But, like, I'm not going to root for Donald Trump the person or Obama the person. I'm going to root for those dudes making policies that are good for everybody. Sure, and someone who uh, was an adamantly against Donald Trump shouldn't be rooting against him. You know, at this point, you right. know, they shouldn't just to prove that they were right or whatever. You know, I mean, it, it's it, it's it's yeah, they should be rooting for and judging him by policy per, pol per policy. I totally makes a ton of sense to me. I would hope that makes a lot of sense to most people, but I, I well, guess uh, you're probably right. Put it this way: like the fact that that healthcare horrible healthcare plan failed. And the Paul Ryans who, you know, just take money from basically their, their oligarch bosses and don't give a shit about anybody, that that failed, that's a good thing, right? And if Trump, he won't do this, but if somehow he were to, like, ask for universal health care or do something crazy like that, he actually, in his book, said that's what he wanted, Democrats should be like, that's amazing, that's a great idea. They won't because it's Trump. No. They don't want him to have a win, but it's not about that. It's not about ego or your personal, I don't like this kind of, per it's like, what is the policy how is it going to affect people, you know? And, and that's, that's all it really is about. And I, I just think that's, um, that's important. Totally. And, and I, you, know, I would, you I would, don't see that happening if you're on Twitter like me and following people. Like, it's not really about that at all. And it, it's, it's dishonest. It's not even um, in good faith what people are posting. I was going to say, I, I would argue that it's actually becoming more and more the opposite, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think it is. And I think the, the parties are somewhat to blame because they target voters and they they appeal to people on this emotional basis. Like, you know, hey, you know, you want a class act like, you know, Hillary tried to run as Obama's third term, even though she would have been way more hawkish. But the image of him is what people in the Democratic Party like. He's very popular among Democrats. And so it was like, let's appeal to the image of him, the celebrity that he is, and like try to align myself with that, you know, rather than say, you know what? Maybe we, maybe we should take care of these people in the Rust Belt. You know, maybe we shouldn't be, maybe I shouldn't have taken that money from Goldman Sachs. You know, maybe I, I need to say, screw Wall Street, I'm going to take care of these people. You know, but that, there was, she had no message. She had no policy. Her policy was just more of that sort of neoliberal, uh, a bunch of platitudes about how much they care, but really doing absolutely nothing. Again, when Obama was president, the banks got bailed out and the homeowners lost everything. You know, like, that was a choice. That was a policy choice. It doesn't matter what he symbolizes or how much you like the way he behaves or how he carries himself. That's, that's really irrelevant. I'm glad you, you threw out a couple um, areas in which you can you know, read news because it seemingly to me is becoming increasingly difficult not to just get total one-sidedness. You know? I mean, I find my mind corrupt. Uh, just, I, I like Bill Maher's show, but it's like there's got to be another side <laughs> to the you – know, you know, it's just so – so one-sided, so it's... Well, um, well, these things are, not, I mean, they're opinionated. Like, The Intercept has its, you know, I wouldn't say ideology, but it has its viewpoint and its political grounding that it, you know, and, it, and it's left. It's, it's certainly to the left of 
the gotcha. fraudulent MSNBC corporate shithole that, that 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 is. They're rewarded for a totally different thing than actually empowering people with the information they need. So, right. so they're, they're never going to be good sources. The Intercept, again, I, I highly recommend it. And Greenwald's like the best journalist in America. He's not even in America. He's in Brazil, but he's American. And then uh, Naked Capitalism is the blog. It's a lot about finance and policy and business. And uh, it is also to the left of mainstream, but it's incredibly informative and, uh, and it's usually a good read. All right, man. Good stuff. All right, man. Take it easy. Good talking to you. Uh, we'll catch up again next week. All right. Later, Liz. All right. Later, Dalton. This podcast is sponsored by FanDuel. There's a special offer for new FanDuel users. Get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with a $10 deposit on FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW. Not only will you get the free subscription, but you'll have that $10 available to play with on FanDuel. That's more than $40 in value for just $10. Go to FanDuel.com slash RW.